Welcome to 90 and Little Extra. My name is Adeyemi Adesoya. Today I'm extremely, extremely excited to be recording this podcast. And by the time this episode airs or goes live, it will be the start of the new year, 2021. I'm really looking forward to that year because 2020 has been one of those really, really remarkable years for so ideal circumstances but we have to look forward to new year and forward with a lot of positivity in mind today i have the similar honor of welcoming china acheru to 90 and into extra china welcome to the show the pleasure is mine it is really mine thank you for having me on your show Thank you very much. You are someone I've followed for many, many years. And I, I, I say this without fear or favor that if a Hall of Fame is created today for media officers in the Nigerian football space, you will be the first inductee to that Hall of Fame. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. Now, I know you, many of my listeners may not know you. So who is China Achiru? Otherwise known as the Equilema. Uh, maybe I might be wrong. Uh, I used to come to Portacourt in my banking days in oil and gas. And they used to say Equilema people are, are very troublesome people. Especially when it comes to <laughs> land matters. So is this our Equilema? The same type of equipment man that is uh, that there's that saying about. Um, issue of land matters are very technical issues, um, and from my study of history, yes, the equipment man likes his land so much, but it's not peculiar to the equipment people. Um, the Israel and Palestine crisis still today is about land. Yeah. In Zimbabwe, they chased out the white farmers because of land. <laughs> UK fought Argentina over the Falkland Islands lands. <laughs> and there's a history of fights about <laughs> land. <laughs> it's a global phenomenon. <laughs> it is, it is. Uh, having said that, right, my name is China Achiru. I live in Podakot. I've lived and worked in Podakot for almost all my life, but I had a three-year spell in Lagos between 2006 and 2009, and I returned to Portacourt. I've done a lot of my education in Portacourt. I served in Benway State, Makodi. Um, I travel a lot for the kind of job I do, a football writer, then a club media officer for 13 years, mm. um, and still a football writer. So I do a lot of traveling. Um, I don't know what else I can say about myself. I'm not a troublesome person. I will say something that will shock you and will shock your listeners. I'm actually a very shy person. Uh, yes, that's true. I actually write better than I speak wow. uh, because I'm not a public person, yes. Interesting. Interesting. That, you said uh, you had a three-year stint in Lagos. So can you tell us yes, what, was your, what was your experience like in Lagos? I actually liked Lagos. Uh, it was a place I, I actually looked forward to living and working in. 
I lived I lived at Alabere in K2, okay. and I worked at DI. Yes, wow. uh, so it was a three-year spell. I I do not like Lagos traffic. It's crazy. Early in the morning, when I go to work, the third mainland bridge, <laughs> and late at night too. So that was the the most bothersome part of my time in Lagos. But apart from that, I really loved Lagos, and I I planned to stay in Lagos for five years, but somehow I had to return to Port for that three years. But there's traffic in Port too. Yes, um, there is traffic in Port Harcourt, especially these days where there's so much development, there's so much influx of people into the city, and there's a lot of road, road construction. Uh, but being a Port boy and my time in Lagos, I I think I'll prefer the Port traffic. <laughs> All right. So you, you have put together what I believe and I think I can call an encyclopedia of for Nigerian football, in terms of storytelling, in terms of uh, detailing, in terms of you know archiving experiences around Nigerian football, and I I always say and I tell my bosses, um, my bosses in sports vision, Uncle Bode and Uncle Dick, that we need more of of this kind of you know uh, work because we are not telling our stories enough as a country, uh, be it football, be it finance, be it basketball, be it arts, you know, movies, entertainment. We are not telling our stories enough. Even culture, history, we are not telling our stories enough. My first question about the book, which I have found very, very, very interesting, entertaining, and have loved my tummy to bits. I've been in stitches reading this book. <laughs> My first question is why the title A Thousand Times on the Same Road? Why? Hello, China, did you get me? So I, I learned that part from my father. Uh, he used to be a university administrator. And as a kid, I would go into his study. I would see different files, different subjects on the files. And I opened them. I would see different pieces of information. And I always wanted to keep files like him. At I was eight, maybe nine years old. I used to love to keep files like him. So by the time I go to the secondary school, I will follow the Nigerian Football League on radio, because we have commentaries on Radio Nigeria, on Radio yeah, Rivers. Yeah. I'll follow it on TV because NTS Post Panorama will give like a 15 minute edited version of the game. I'll buy newspapers, so I knew a lot of the players, I knew their faces because of their pictures. So I used to keep files, I'll buy books every year, I would say 1985 league book. And I'll be, I'll be keeping records of match they won, results, goal scorers and all. I used to have, I used to have all those records. Um, so something happened in 1985 when Davis Lowumi won the top scorer award in the league. But there was an argument. Was it Lowumi that was top scorer with nine goals, like he said? Or was it a poster or Sai who played for Bendel Insurance at the time? A poster or Sai claimed they had scored 10 goals. And there was this argument before the NFA came out and said Lowumi was top scorer with nine goals and a poster had only eight goals. 
And I was wondering why the Nigeria Football Association did not have such records handy when I had them because I was following the league from match day one. So, but I had not been to the stadium yet at that time. Mm. The first day I went to the stadium was 1989, when Sharks played Nepal of Lagos in Port Harcourt. And I was happy that I was finally going to the stadium after, after following the league from home. And I took down a note in one of my diaries and noted it down that I watched that game, Sharks of Nepal of Lagos. It ended 3-1 in favor of Sharks. And every time I go to the stadium, I will keep those notes. I had different notes. I have different books. I had different diaries that stated the games I had been to. As I kept on getting older, the, the, the notes were more detailed. By the time I became a journalist in 2001, I will not talk. I won't just say the name of the game. I will also talk about the match venue and maybe the results of the match and probably goal scorers. By the time I became a media officer, I was not adding team sheets to my record. Mm -hmm. So I had all these records. Uh, so sometime in 2017, I went to the family house and I saw my notes and I, I started putting them together. And I did a tally and that was about August 2017. And I counted that I had done 947 games at that time. Wow. And I was amazed because I, I, never, I never knew I had done as many games. So I called a few friends of mine and I said, look, I just found out that I've watched 947 games. And one of them said, how do you know that? I said, I'm looking at it. He said, how? I said, I'm looking at the records. So I asked him, do you know any Nigerian that has done a thousand games? None of them had heard of any such Nigerian. So I said, maybe I could be the first. Can we plan towards our one, the 1,000 game? And that was my step planning towards my 1,000 game, which I achieved on the 15th of April, 2018. That was a game between Goron FC and Niger Tornadoes that ended 1-1. So on that day, 2018, I was asked, now you've done 1,000 games, it's a milestone. Are you planning on doing 2,000 games, maybe 1,500 games? And I remember saying, um, I don't travel as much as I used to travel before. So I don't think I can do up to 2,000. But I'm thinking that if you've been to the stadium a thousand times, you surely have 1,000 stories to tell. Yeah. And I'll write a book. So that was how that idea of a thousand times on the same road mm -hmm. came up because it's always the same road to a stadium. I mean, whether it's in, in Bauchi or in Port or in South Africa or in Dublin, the road that leads to the stadium is the same. And that was why I said a thousand times on the same road. And of course, that idea came from Damka Idea. That's why for Brown Idea, because I had some other ideas for a book title, but she called me and said, no, I think this one will work well. And I picked that one a thousand times on the same road. So this long story I've told now is how <laughs> I got that title for the book. <laughs> Lovely. So, if 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 you if you are called upon to recommend the book, why would you recommend this book to anyone to read? If you notice, right, uh, when I did my radio tour in Port Harcourt and in Lagos, I I always talked about the book being an adventure story, a love story, a thriller, a horror flick. A sex capping stuff. I, I always say that because <laughs> I, 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 I try to I try to downplay the football part of the book because people know me as a football writer. Yeah. And they could say China actually wrote a football book. And somebody could yeah. say, but I don't like football. So okay. I'm, I'm gonna lose that that piece of attention. Yeah. But you have read the book and you know it's not a football book. No, it's, it's not it's a book written by a football writer. Yeah. yeah, so um, I, I, I tell people it is the story of Nigerian football, 
but not about the actual football on the pitch. I try to tell you a story that people will enjoy. You said you laughed to beats. You laughed your stomach to beats. And I remember when I autographed the book for somebody, I said, this book will make you laugh, cry, and laugh again. That's the idea. Even in that chapter five, a game of throws, when I was under the bed and those area boys were about to save my life. <laughs> you see, exactly, exactly, exactly. You see, how time to laugh about it. As serious as that situation was, oh, yes. I wrote it in such a way that you will laugh about it, you know. So th that, that was my idea. I wanted people to enjoy the story of Nigerian football. Nigerian football is not all about, oh, Shaq, Ayimba beat Canopilas 3 1. Oh, um, Sunshine Stars and Shooting Stars drew 2 2. No, it's much more than that. Oh, yes. There's a lot that happened. It is and, far and that, deeper. I wanted to, <laughs> yes. And that's what I wanted to bring out. And I wanted to add a lot of humor to it. And when people tell me, oh, I read your book, I couldn't stop laughing. I, I see it as success because that was exactly the plan. Enjoy Nigerian football without thinking of the results of games. Okay, so let me ask, what, what, what's your fondest memory during the writing process? My fondest memory during the writing process? I would say it was writing chapter five, hmm. a game of throws. <laughs> I... I can't say it enough. That's my best chapter. Now, and I rewrote that chapter maybe six or seven times. Wow. And every time I go through that chapter, before the book was published, since it was published, I've not read the book. But every time I go through that chapter before the book was published, at some point, I will just stop. If I'm at home, I will just stop. I will lie on my bed. I will close my eyes. I start playing back the events of that night in my mind's eye. You know, I don't know. I don't know I mean, how I wrote chapter five, Game of Thrones. I don't know, but that chapter, it's everything that's happened to me hmm. as a football writer. Let, let, me, let me tell you something. My mom read the book, right? She's, she's 71 years old. She read the book. Then she calls me on the phone and she goes, this book I'm reading, is it really about you? <laughs> I can't imagine. Yes. She'd be like, yes, you she mean goes, you went through all this? Yes. <laughs> then, then she goes, she goes, so you mean that all those times you pack your bags and say you're traveling to watch a league game, this is what happens? I said, yes. Then she asked me, so is that really a job you're doing or you're risking your life? <laughs> it's a job. <laughs> no, that, that's coming I, from a mother, you know, like, you mean you're putting yourself through this madness? Yes. Yes. <laughs> you know, so, but chapter five, the game of throws, I, I took my time to do that. Like I said, I, I rewrote it about six or seven times. And my fondest memories of this book, of writing this book is chapter five because I had to put calls to people. Almost everybody mentioned in that chapter five, I had to call them wow. to like relieve some of those memories. Maybe, maybe with writing. the exception of uh, Musa Abdullah. Yes, because yeah, he is mm. he, now. He's but I did a lot of that just to ensure that I put so some I, level I of accuracy in the right way. Yes, 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 that, that was the whole idea.
chapter five really really chronicled a lot of the politics that you know uh goes on within nigeria's football circles you know uh from the club hierarchy to how the coaches try to manage the quote-unquote club club board the area boys the players are trying to you know uh maintain some level of of sanity it's uh Ah, it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy, but at the same time, um, quite enjoyable. I, I, I remember reading, uh, I think in one of your tours, you were saying that, you know, you had to get rid of, of your manuscript a few times. You had to rewrite it a few times. How, how did you find the motivation to continue to keep going to ensure that this book, you know, got to print? Yeah, um, when I first wrote this book, when I first wrote, the first manuscript I wrote, I just, you know how, you just say, let me write. I just put everything in your head down. And when I had written it, I sent to all my siblings to look at it, their family. Then I sent to Abigail Anaba, who is a writer. She's not a sports person, but a writer. She has written two or three books. And for Abigail, I was like saying, okay, from the professional point of view, look at what I've done and tell me what you think. For my family, I say, as family members, look at what I've done. And every one of my siblings told me I should not do it. Hmm. She said, why? She said, no. They told me, no, I shouldn't do it. And um, they didn't tell you why you shouldn't do it. Yes, because I, um, I revealed, I revealed too much. I went gung ho. <laughs> <laughs> I went, I went, I went gung ho. I went gung ho. So, and that was why for Abigail, she just. Um, Diplomatically told me to hold on, hold on a bit, and have me rethink on what I wanted to do. So I abandoned it. Hmm. But after 2018, after watching my 1,000 game, and I chose to go back to read, I I started thinking. I remembered when I went to visit the late Elechi Amazi. You know him, the yes. famous author. I was at his country home sometime in 2006. I went to study history with him, and I remember him telling me something. He said, my son, I am not a historian. I am a creative writer. Hmm. And those words played back. I said, creative writer. So I went back to buy a lot of Elitia Amadi books. Hmm. A few of them I read in primary school, like the Great Ponds, like the Concubine, yeah. you know. Some others I'd not, I had to buy, read them afresh, like Sunset in Biafra, The Slave, I started reading the Chairman's book and I saw what he meant as he being a creative, creative writer. writer and not a historian. Yes. Mm. yes. So I told myself, I said, you want to tell a story. How do you tell a story that can keep people spellbound? They won't want to leave you off your sight. How do you how do you gather people? I, I remember when we are kids going to the village when my grandma would just sit us down under the moonlight and she's telling us stories and we can't move. I said, how do you do that? How do you make this story grab people from the inside and they cannot move? So I stared afresh. I stared afresh. It was still non-fiction. It was still everything in this book happened. Everything. So, but I had to be, I had to do it differently. And that was how I restarted. And oh. every time I read the chapter, I would read it again. And I'll, I'll ask myself, 
if I'm not convinced by this, then I won't be able to convince the next person. Mm. So it took me time. It took me maybe maybe a full year from from April 2018 until about okay until November that year. It took about about eight months to to do this. And instead going through different stages of editing, and every time my editor looks at it and sends it back to me, I basically rewrite like 30% of the book. I wow. send back to him, he looks at it, he sends back to me, I'm rewriting. We did that about five or six times. And my editor said, We can't do this anymore. You have to be, we have to agree on what you want. But I said no. Every time I read it, I want to change it. And mm. but of course, <laughs> finally. We are here. At some point, I said, I'm not reading anymore because whenever I read the book, I want to change a lot of things. I want to change the writing style, how I describe some things and all of that. Uh, but I'm happy with the final work. I'm happy with it. Was it just a function of changing the writing style or toning down some of the stories? No, it's, it's not. Okay, toning down happened just once, right? Mm -hmm. The first manuscript I wrote that I had to keep on the shelf right? I had to tone down some things because I know that Nigeria is not ready for some things, hmm. right? And that was why I decided to add humor to it hmm. because it's a really serious book, which you know, yeah, yeah. but the writing style says humor. Yeah. You're laughing over serious things. There's attempted more than in this book. Oh, of course. <laughs> yes, but but humor humor makes it seem like it's a light-hearted thing. So the, the whole idea was, I think um, reading should be an interesting thing. People should not struggle to read. And I told myself, um, if somebody opens the book, my first chapter says, "Kill us all in Kano, kill us all." Yeah. And the truth is that there's no way you can read page nine, which is the first page of that chapter, yeah. and not turn the next page. Yeah, yeah. So yes, yeah. it wasn't about toning down, it, was, it wasn't about toning down, it was about how do I make it more interesting without it losing its essence. Hmm. Hmm. And that's what I was doing. Hmm. You know, you, you said that you don't think Nigeria is ready for some things. And yes. it's, I, I think it's because we're not used to maybe hearing the truth or because we are too sentimental about certain things. Maybe that's why we're, we're unable to make that advancement or take that step into, into moving from all potential to actually developing. Okay, yeah. um, yes, for, for me, I agree with you all the way. I agree with you all the way. Um, in the 90s, well, that should have been many years back, I, I heard about Salmon Rushdie. He wrote the Satanic Verses. <laughs> and a particular group of people did not like what he had written. And they imposed a word I had for the first time then, a fatwa on him. And so I used to joke. I said, you don't want a fatwa on you, not yet. Hmm. So what I, what I did here is this. I told myself, except in, it was only one chapter I really went all out. You, you've read the book. The only chapter I really went all out 
is chapter nine. How safe is my kitchen, really? <laughs> I went all out. I held, I held nothing back. <laughs> now he's laughing. I held nothing back. <laughs> that was the chapter I went all out. But I said, okay, let's take it nice and easy, right? Let's, 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 um, I didn't want to write a book that people would say, okay, I'm, this guy wants to scandalize me, or this guy is fighting me. I felt it was not time for it. Nigerian football, Nigerian sports, people do not write. Kule Solaja has two books. I've read the first one. Yeah. Kule Solaja's first book was about, was about the Super Eagles. Yeah. Team sheets, goal scorers, and all of that. It was more of statistics. Yeah. Uh, Imagine Mega has a book on the Nigerian league. It was still more of statistics. Stats. Now, this is the first book on Nigerian or about Nigerian football yeah. that is actually told like a story. Yeah. So I, I wanted to leave it that way as a story. That's why I said I didn't want to go all out. Let people enjoy it. Let people laugh like you are laughing. Let people be happy about what they see. And like I said, you know, only in one chapter I went all out, chapter nine, because that was very personal. So I went all out. But everything, just take it nice and easy. Tell the story that people will enjoy. Let people relate to Nigerian football. And you never can tell what happens from there. Wow. You know, this is your, this your, um, your issues with Chris Gray. It's, uh, <laughs> it's well documented and I, I wish this country were different. Let me not, you've, you've, you, you really worked all out in that chapter, like you said, and let me not, let me not flog, you know, let's not overflow it, but really, if we were in a better country, things would have, you know, evolved differently. So let me, uh, so I'm, you have a lot of stories. And, and I want to ask, you know, you said you've edited, you edited this book so many times, but there must have been a story that you, you had to leave out for making the book. And, uh, and it probably still hurts you. Is there any story like that? Yes, I, for many years, I followed up on sexual harassment of female footballers mm. in the national teams and at club side level. Wow. At some point in the book, at some point in the book, it seemed like I would have told that story in the book. When somebody pointed out to me that, ah, I didn't see that story. Because I mentioned it in some parts of the book, like the story was going to come in that book. Uh, but it didn't. I followed, followed up that story myself. I called the new door. I followed up that story. If you, if you remember chapter 13, which is titled A 30-Year-Old Under-17 Goalkeeper, A Pregnant Super Falcon and a Bribery <laughs> Allegation. Now, it, it was a sexual harassment story I was following before I discovered this other one. So I, I know a lot about sexual harassment of footballers at club side and national team level. I had also written a lot about it. Then I had columns in newspapers. But at some point, it seemed like those that controlled women's football in the country yeah. we are either part of what was going on or we are not powerful enough to stop what was going on. So it began to create enemies for me. And a couple of footballers that spoke with me, we are ostracized. 
they couldn't get clubs to play for the ostracized. So Why are we like that? Really that deep. Why are we like that? I don't know. You know, because you you know, um, these things, some of these things you are talking about, you know, happened maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, but they're still happening till today. That players are unable to, you know, stand up for their rights. Their old salaries for months, right? Like Platina came out and said they're going to have player salary after losing one match. You know, things like that keep happening in our sports. And any player that stands up, potentially his career ends. Because if another club wants to take you up, the so-called club owners come together and tell you, don't sign that player, he's a troublemaker. Why are we like that? I, I think uh, I, I, I'm stammering now. <laughs> like that. That, 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 that's who we are as a people. We oppress. What should I say? That, uh, using the word downtrodden is not right. We are very but oppressed. We, we, oppress, we oppress people who are below us on the food chain. Hmm. That's what we do. Now, um, I still have that story somewhere. Um, and because you mentioned it, I just realized that I have mapped out the volume two of this book, and that story is still not there. Wow. So maybe I'll have to, <laughs> I'll have to remap it. I have to remap it. Now, so I had that story there, and it, it was very delicate. It was very delicate because a lot of people would have been. If, if you know the way I wrote my book, I mentioned names. Yes. Right? I mentioned names because I thought that was one way that the book would resonate well with people. Yes, people I also get a bit of authenticity. Yes, this guy is not just telling us things he made up. Yeah. Names have been mentioned. Now, can I tell that story of sexual harassment in Nigerian football and not mention names? Mm. There are coaches involved. There mm. are NFL board members involved. Mm. There are club officials involved. So would it be possible to do that and keep keep most of the actors anonymous? Mm. So at some point I felt your story will seem like fiction if you can't mention names. And that was why I said for that one, can you keep it aside for now? Now, a lot of those people who were involved at that time are still either still involved in Nigerian football, either as coaches in club sides or some national teams, or they aspire to be coaches in club sides or national teams. Mm. And these people don't want this story told because they know that if this story is told, they may have nothing more to do with Nigerian football. Mm. So that's where I am now. It's a catch with the situation. What do I do about that story? So I have to keep it aside. It's also like the like the match fixing issues that we know happen within Nigeria. For first, there's there's, uh, there's a brand envelope part of your book, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that that we we somehow still put a lead on it, and yeah. like like the always says, he says that whether we like it or not, you know, the problems of this country involves all of us. Because corruption, which we call our number one problem, seems to be part and parcel of every single person, of all of us. So 
maybe when we get to the point where we decide that, look, enough is enough, we need to act right, come correct. Maybe then this country um, will change. Because yes, you get allegations of match fixing every day. You hear people say, oh, this one happened, and they kept quiet about it. Oh, this, that, that. you did your investigation, you kept quiet about it. Of course, there are some that also kind of um, involves uh, the team you were um, you worked with, you know, we never had dolphins. Yeah, dolphins. We never heard anything about it anymore. In fact, the uh, the alleged part of the alleged uh, uh, perpetrators of the um, of the incident are still very active in on the scene today. So uh, we, will, we we will get there one day. <laughs> Let me just that's that's how we round it up. We will get there one day. Uh, it's unfortunate, but you, uh, I, I would really love to, to to have that book on on see that story on that sexual harassment because it's 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 what happening. <laughs> it's what's happening in our workplace, not only in football, in, in, in corporate organizations, in every nook and cranny. It's happening. Um, sex for grades came out a few. A little while ago, even now, even though that caused problem on Twitter a few weeks ago, but really, yeah, um, we'll get there. Let, let's let's talk about your life as a media officer. How was that like? And I, I know you remember that I was uh, just last week. There was an argument or a conversation rather on SJF. When we we're talking about media officers and. You were a leader officer for 13 years. What would you advise those who are media officers today and those who are looking to become media officers in the future? Simple advice I'll give is this. Um, I think let's just try to be different and better. Now, when I became media officer in 2003 for Dolphins, I had no idea what it was about. I had no idea. They told me, because I worked at Silverbeds Reading FM at that time, what the team manager of the club told me at that time is just the announcer result for radio. So I thought my job was just watch the games like I used to watch the games before oh, and yeah. make sure the results of Dolphins games are announced on Reading FM. That's all. That's what I was told. But then Colin Udok called me and said, no, the job of a media officer is much more than this. Of course. And because he, he was a FIFA media um, something, like the FIFA media committee at that time, he began to give me some study materials, some practical work. And that was how I was able to do what I used to do. Keep statistics of players. When I make the team sheet before a game, I'll let the journalist present know, okay, this player, this is 10th game for Dolphins. He has had two yellow cards previously. He has mm. scored one goal. He has had four assists. My team sheets were that details. Wow. And that's because somebody told me I must do better and I, I was open to learning. Interestingly, interesting. This thing you said, nobody is doing this thing you said now. Nobody has time. Nobody has time. <laughs> you know? So my, my, my team sheets, because the media people, especially then when Dolphins are playing in Lagos, they look forward to my team sheets because they had all the stats they needed. 
when Super Stock is show against life, I know Ralph will tell me, ah, China, whenever you give me a team sheet, half of my job is done. Because a lot of things I need for my commentaries are there already. Mm. You know, so I took time to do that. Now, but it's different these days. I Why is it different these days? Um, it's different because um, it's difficult to be media officer in Nigeria. Hmm. A lot of times, our club chairman do not want the information going out. Yeah. I don't know why. Now, wow. They don't, want, they don't want information going out. Uh, there, there's a club in Nigeria, up till this day, they hold their team list until 20 minutes to kick oh, off. Oh, yeah, the yes, yes. You <laughs> know yeah. that. So, Let me tell you so, a very funny it, story. <laughs> when Koroji United were still in the, in the top division, in fact, funny thing is, this match I'm talking about virtually ended in violence at the end of the game. Koroji United were hosting shooting stars at Tony Cross Stadium. And I was in the media tribune. And we couldn't get Koroji United's team list. You are the home team for crying out loud. Where is your team sheet? And the guy, the media officer walked to the gallery. I was like, guy, where is your team sheet? I was like, ah, we should hold on. That, so we don't know that it's shooting stars that play. That we should wait for the one to do something to that team sheet. And the team sheet came like, I think 10 minutes to the start of the game. And I was like, telling him that, oh, I was this. This is rubbish now. How can I be getting your team list? 10 minutes to the start of the game. You have spot most of the work that I want to do. He said, ah, now why am I talking as if I'm just tired watching that job? I don't know you shooting that play. That if they go and bring team news now, they go and do something to the team news. That game ended in violence in the game because shooting star scored a late equalizer. I think it was Ajani. Ajani... Uh, Ibrahim. Yeah, Ajani Ibrahim. He played for, shoot, for Rangers. He later played for Rangers. He scored a late equalizer yeah. and Violence erupted in Onikon. So I, I, I get that. I get that. Funny, funny enough, I was at Onikon Stadium for that game. Oh, you are not good <laughs> I, I, I see how short, short video clips of the violence. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh, man. That day was. I, they beat one guy wearing a shooting star's jersey. He ran to the media tribune. If you see the way they beat this guy, right beside us like this. Ah, no. Ah, it was bad. It was bad. It was bad. And it wasn't like there was any, as far as I was concerned, it wasn't like there was any major refereeing decision that, you know, that was supposed to have swung Ecology United's way. But you see the maturity in shooting stars then. Uh, Gubote was was a coach of shooting stars at that time. So if you see the maturity in the way they played and the way they handled things till they scored that equalizer and all, all hell, you know, went loose. So, <sighs> I continue your advice to media officers. I don't know. Yes, I, I think they should just strive to be, to be different. Now, these days, all media officers, what they do is they send in team sheets before the game, they send uh, match reports after the game, yeah. which is normal, which is normal. Um, now we have um, well-designed team sheets being sent, which started about a year or two ago. Yes. Uh, but I'm here thinking that 
away from what happens on match day. We need to know more about the club. See, yeah. Now, we need to know more about, more about the player. Okay, a player scored a brace two, last weekend for Nasarawa United. Yeah. Who is he? Really Who did he play for last season? Yeah. Yeah, how old is he? You know, we need to know. Does he, does he still live with his parents? Does he have a girlfriend? Is he married? These are the kind of stories so that, you yeah. know, get us closer to the players. You know, but we are not seeing a lot of that. So I think our media officers can do it differently. Yes, they also have their challenges now. It's the same person that sends match reports, the same person that will take pictures at the stadium, the same person that will edit the audio, the same man that... that One person, that uploads, <laughs> the, the same person. So I, I, I agree they have their challenges. Uh, but, you know, like we had that, that discussion on SGF, like you said, um, if you're there on the job, do your best to improve yourself. Because a lot of people talk about me. I left the office in 2016. But look at you talking about my time at Dolphins. It was because of the things I did at that time. Uh, so I think eventually when your employers, most places where in Nigeria, where things don't work as they should, where your employers do not give you the right atmosphere, the right environment to do your stuff, to the best of your abilities, help yourself out. Because you're eventually doing it for yourself for your own future, for your own progress. So that's what I think. Why, why are our administrators the way they are? Um, I'll ask you this, you know, uh, in that position we're having at, at, in next year, they say, you know, if it's, if it's hard for you to work as a media officer, resign. And then somebody said, okay, the administrators also come out and tell us that they find it hard to work, that uh, the environment is not friendly, they, they're not enabled, they are able to push certain reforms through. So why is it that they can't also resign? Why do we seem to recycle people over and over and over again? Ayase uh, has been at uh, Eiba for more than 20 years. And I'm sorry to say, despite the fact that they're the only team that's won the CAF Champions League, and they're probably the biggest team in Nigeria today, I look at them, I look at Kano Pillars, I look at shooting stars and the rangers and I look at them and they still don't look like they still look like a pop team to me and not a professional team. So I ask, why is it hard for our administrators to also throw in the towel if the kitchen is too, you know, if they are unable to work? Well, the difference now is that. For, the, for a lot of the administrators, uh, being a club chairman seems like the last bus stop for them. Hmm. It's either that or another political appointment. It's either that or they go into business. A lot of club chairmen have hotels in the state where the club operates. Now, those club chairmen who have hotels did not have those hotels before they became club chairmen. So it's either that or they retired to but for the media officer is different now in nigeria we usually appoint journalists as media officers and for us it's not our last bus stop it mm. is not yeah so since it's not our last bus stop we need to think about the next phase of our lives and 
how you perform as media officer of, say, Ecology United or Rivers United or Shooting Stars could, to an extent, determine what you get next based on your performance. That's my thinking, because that is not the last post stop for you, unlike a lot of the club chairmen. And that's why I say the conditions are never right. And I give an example. Let's forget about the clubs. Even some of us that work in what we call reputable media houses, mm. we don't always get the right facilities to work in. Mm. When we do our best, sometimes we have to run an interview. We don't wait for the radio station official vehicle to take us. We go on out because we know how important that interview is. We are trying to help ourselves. We feel that from this media house, we could move to the next, we could move to the next, and probably work for an international or a multinational media house. So I'm saying the same. I don't want, I want, I don't want to talk about the club chairman. I mean, they are their own people. Right? <laughs> they have their own ambitions. But if you're a journalist, you're a sports writer, you're a club media officer, I would think that unless you think that's your last post stop in life, you should do your best to improve yourself. And that's why I give I give that example. I mean, I I always talk about myself. I mean, it's it's funny how I got the job. I, I need to share that story. It's funny how I got the job. I was a young, hot-headed journalist in Portland, working, working for Vidim FM. Then one day, the sports commissioner called me and said, "What time will you be at work tomorrow?" I said, "Normally, I'll be there by 7 a.m. What time do you close? I'll be there until 6 p.m. Okay, don't leave until you see me. Tell the same to your boss, Henry Kalio." I told Henry, Commissioner wants to come to the office to see us. We can't leave. And we waited for him until 7.30 before he turned up at 7.30. He came in smiling and he told us some things. I mean, the board of sharks and dolphins were dissolved that day. And he said that was what kept him busy. And he wanted it on the news. Lucky for him, we had an 8 o'clock news update. So we had it on the news. That was leaving. He just stopped by the newsroom door. He turned around and said, okay, China, from now. Your dolphin's media officer, Henry, your national media officer, he walked away. That's how we got the job. Wow. Just like that. So, I mean, as a young person coming up, I had no idea what I was supposed to do. And the team manager just said, just the announcer result for your station. And I thought that was what the media officer's job was. But if someone rescued me and I began to improve myself, and that's why I said, well, always be open to learning. Mm. Hmm. Always be open to learning and always be open to improving yourself. I mean, you can never always get the conditions right. But to the best of our abilities, let's do it for ourselves. Yeah, but the job, you didn't get the job just like that. You got the job obviously off the fact that you were putting in good work anyway in the sphere that you were already in. So they, they saw the potential and they saw your abilities and they thought, okay, this guy yeah. will be a good fit you know, um, um, for the job. There's a story that, that I remember, you've, you've, you know, let me not call it a story. Why are, are clubs not very, um, what's the right word to use now? Not very open to branding, to sponsorship, to certain aesthetics that make, you know, football, a lot more eye-catching, eye-pleasing, uh, and enjoyable. <laughs> I 
You, you, you plan to put me in trouble today, right? <laughs> you know, I remember a story you've told Thank me you. once, but I don't want to go deep into that. So as I just said, let me make it seem general. Okay, let me see, let me see. In my time at Midops, uh, I passed through four governors. Okay, so maybe, maybe they wouldn't know the one I was I'm talking about. Let, let me tell you this story. Some years back, we had... Um, this deal to have our jerseys endorsed by a big company in Nigeria. And we are supposed to play, okay. So, and I passed it to the sports commissioner. The man was commissioner then. And I said, look, I just got this notice from this company and they want to brand our jerseys from next season. Said, okay, let me tell the governor about it. He asked me, how much do you think they're going to pay? I said, I don't know. It could be as little as 10 million for the season. And it could be as much as a hundred million. It all depends on how much you negotiate. Mm. He said, okay, let me talk to the governor about it. The commissioner calls me two weeks later and said, the governor says he's not interested. And the governor said, if other teams who had their sport, who had their jersey endorsement needed that company money to survive, that he had enough money to sponsor his team. Hmm. Down. Hmm. Like I said. We could have received about as a hundred million naira in one season, but the governor turned it down. So you know, you think about government-owned clubs. A lot of things happen behind the scenes that we don't know. Yeah. Now, if I didn't tell this story now, nobody will understand that a state governor actually turned down sponsorship. Hmm. So I'm not saying this happens every time. No, I don't. I don't. It happens in my own in my own situation. How do we yeah, so, change their mindset? How? So, I, I tell this story, right? I ask, why do you think clubs need sponsorship, private partnership with companies and all? And somebody says to generate funds. I, I, and my follow-up question now is this. Why do you think the clubs need those funds? The general managers, the team managers, don't need to be creative. You know why? Mm. Because every Thursday, they take a file to government house and they're giving money for the next game. Mm. So to them, that's enough. But the moment that's what I call free money stops, stops. they begin to be more creative. Yes. To be more creative. If Liverpool fails to qualify for the Champions League three times, there's an effect. <laughs> wages of players will be cut. Yeah. Yes, wages of players will be cut. A lot will happen. So they know that they must keep improving themselves yeah. to be at that level. If, for example, the company that endorses Liverpool's jersey decides to pull out, they need to find another one. Yes. Without that money, things will be difficult for them. But what about if Liverpool just has somebody that says, okay, every Thursday, come and take five million pounds? <laughs> Maybe they won't bother themselves. I think there's so much government money or lack of it in Nigerian football. I had a lack of it because it's not like the government clubs have so much money these days. Yeah. But people are just people are just lazy and lazy. dependent on government. To provide everything, to provide everything for them, and it's a big problem for Nigerian football. A big problem. Hmm. 
You know, because I always I always ask that I think Nigeria is the only country, and I could be wrong, where <laughs> our budgeting process for Nigerian clubs is strictly on expenditure. There doesn't seem to be any form of income budgeting or income generation. You know, somebody once told me the story of what happens in caterpillars. I don't know how true it is, but it's alleged that a caterpillars on a good match day, they get about, if you get, if they have a full crowd, if they have a full house, they will make about 7 million from gate takings, cash. And more often than not, that 7 million is shared before they leave the stadium that night. <laughs> and I'm like, come on. Who does that? How can you do that? And they're like, ah, that from that seven million, they'll pay, commissioner will take his own. It's alleged, let me put, let me put it there before, before they sue me. It's alleged that commissioner will take his own, uh, GM will take his own. The balance will now be shared, they'll give supporters from their own, and then they'll use the balance to pay players their match bonus and, and what have you. And I'm like, that should go into the coffers of the club as part of income generated from market proceeds. And then, you know, they can go on. And, but Nigerian football just finds a way to, to make you question your own reason, reasoning and your own level of intelligence. Have you heard any story like that yeah, before? I think Nigerian football club needs to be more organized. Well, I know a lot of fraud goes on, but I cannot um, exactly say of any particular story. Now, this story you've told is possible, it's possible, but I cannot say I know for sure of any particular story. I know some years back in Port nobody was really sure where the gate takings were going to. Mm. I don't know how it is now. I don't know, but I know some years back in Port nobody was really sure. I mean, because I asked if I asked the club, hey, ah, this money will they get for kids? Now the club they get them. Say, ah, we don't know, we don't know, we don't know. So the club then has dropped the young man played their games, and nobody knew who was collecting who the, was the tickets, who was selling <laughs> the tickets at that time. Oh like, I don't, I don't know what, yes, I mean, so like I said, I don't know how it's, but at that time I asked, and nobody was really sure. So, so what, what the story you've told now could be possible, but I think we need to get a bit more organized, right? I remember when we went to Spain, and the La Liga president, he asked the club chairman there, he asked them, do you have your own stadium? Most of them, more than, I mean, almost all of them did not have, but they had but you have a stadium where you play games, he said yes. And you control what happens on match day, he said yes. Do your stadiums have car parks? And all, all stadiums do have car parks. Yes. And this is what I was asked now. Do you charge people for parking cars? All of them said no. And they were asked why. That's waste of revenue. Hmm. But hmm. nobody has thought about that. Wow. We go to shopping malls, right? You pay for parking. And we are charged parking fees. This yeah. was in Panacot. You are charged. Yes, you pay for parking. 
you, you're still going to buy their stuff and pay for your yeah. packing. Yeah. So why do you buy a ticket and not? And you are like saying, one asks a club chairman, can you give me an estimate? How many cars come into your stadium on match day? They won't know. <laughs> and he said, no, he, 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 gave, he gave an estimate. He said, 50 to 100. I know the club chairman, and that was about right. So she now said, imagine a hundred cars paying for parking on March day. Do you know what that money can do for you? It could even fill your bus for the next away game. But these are all different streams of income that we don't see because, like I said, on Thursday, you take a fire to government house and you're going to get money. So our clubs need to be more organized. We need to see football beyond three points every Sunday. Yes. We just see that as a business, as a lifestyle. But and unfortunately, it, we are not. Shana, how do we do that? Is it going to come from the governor who's sitting in office? Or is it, going to come, is it going to come from the commissioner? Or is it going to come from those that run the clubs? I always have this argument and have this conversation because I, I think it should come from the governors. I think the governors need to ask better questions. I think they need to set better parameters on those that they give positions to wrong clubs. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how much the governors care. Hmm. Now, um, I don't know how much the governors care because this job, job of a state governor. Unfortunately, it's not Rivers United or AIMA yeah, or It's, it's not. not. <laughs> the job of a state government is to build roads, is to build bridges, is to provide security, is to pay civil servants. It's a, it's a lot. Yes, yeah, a lot. So sport is just one aspect. It's just one aspect of a governor's job, and football is just a little, a small part of sport. Sports, so yeah. it's, it's, it's way, it's way, way below the food chain. Governors are more interested in other things than sports. But you have that one governor out of 10 who is, say, a fan of Aiba, like Ojiuz Okalu, yeah. or a fan of Sharks and Dolphins, like Peter Odili, and they will invest so much money in that. And the moment that governor leaves, it's back to normal. So the governors don't really care. So I, I don't think it can come from the governor. But hmm. if Somehow, I know when Chief Ndukairaba was the LSE chairman, he used to have regular chats with state governors. I don't know how that turned out for him, but eventually, it's the governor that, in quote, owns the club. Yes. So they can decide. They can decide who is sports commissioner. They can decide who is club chairman. They can decide who is club team manager or general manager. They can decide all of that. So I think eventually it falls on the governors to think and say, can we make this a business? Yeah. Can we get the right people? But why will the governor be thinking about AIMBA when they can think about allocations that <laughs> come at the end of the month? Why will the governor be thinking about Rivers United, where they can be thinking of flyovers to build or security boots or allocations that come. Why should the government think about candle pillars? There are a lot of other things to think about, especially now that COVID-19 is ravaging us. Yeah. So 
it's difficult. I don't think the governors care as much. They don't. They would have loved to, but they have other things on their mind. Hmm. You know, so it's interesting that one of the things that led to you writing your book was an incident that happened in 1985 and it involved Davis in And just yesterday, Davis Inouye was appointed CEO of the Big Migrant Company. What's your take on, on that appointment? What do you see and what do you think this appointment will bring to our domestic football as we gradually round up? I've, I've known the movie since 1986. Um, I remember the first time I saw him one-on-one. -on -one. I was in my fourth year in secondary school. And I was walking back home from school in my school uniform. He was a student at the University of Padakot then. And I saw him returning from lectures. I recognized him because I see his pictures on the newspapers and I see him on TV, NTA Padakot. So I told my friends, I not my friends, I said, that's that's who me. And they're like, what, what, who, who, who? They were not as excited as I was. <laughs> so I what is not was his nickname because of his speed. <laughs> so because of his speed, he was good in the air. So he was called Okada Air. He was subscribed to the previous season. So I said, Okada Air. And he turned and looked at me and I panicked because I felt, who am I to call him? Okay. I panicked. So he said, he went, small boy, come. And I was afraid because he was like, me, what have I got myself into? <laughs> so he just patted me on the back, said, how are you? I said, I'm fine. And I walked away. That was my first ever encounter with him. I remember when I saw him many years later, I reminded him about this story. Of course, he didn't remember. But he has managed at Warrior Wolves. He has managed at Rangers twice. He had been chairman of the league once, yeah. even if it was short-lived. Yeah. And I think he has the ability to do that job uh, if he can strike a good working relationship with the chairman, Sheudiko, <laughs> and the NFL president, Amadou Pinnick. So I have, I have, I have, I have nothing, I see nothing wrong with that appointment until he gets to work and we see how he can work with these other two people. I think it's a good appointment. I don't know why he was picked, what are the conditions they looked at when he was picked, but having heard the announcement yesterday, I think it's a good appointment. You know, it's interesting that you have echoed the fears of a lot of people that I've spoken with with respect to this appointment, which is striking a balance in terms of a working relationship with Sheo particularly. And that is where I fear because I think Diko is a tad political and also a tad laid back. Uh, I think I think the league has taken a few steps backwards under the stewardship of, of Diko, even though as board chairman Diko still more or less runs the league. Uh, the CEO runs administration and what have you. And then obviously Diko is distracted with all that happens with the Super Eagles and Cavs. So it's interesting that you have also mentioned that. But I was hoping that, you know, this is 2020, uh, football should start thinking of moving in a different direction. I've had this conversation with some of my, you know, uh, my senior colleagues, and they've also told me that, yes, whilst it is true that 
maybe we should be seeking a different direction in terms of people we appoint or get for these positions in terms of we should be looking at people who can market the product who can put the mpfl on the marketing pedestal that will attract the best of corporate nigeria but then they also say look i have a bad product in hand maybe at this moment only is the right person to come in to shape things into you know shape things the right way get everybody in this on the straight and narrow in terms of admin in terms of discipline because during this time the short-lived time he was it was a bit you know very focused very resolute in punishing airing teams so do, do you agree that yes this appointment will do that or do you also support the fact that yeah maybe we should have been looking in a different direction to you know people with the caliber to more or less project and market the league a different way for me i think like i said i don't know what they looked at before they picked Obi. i don't know if there were other options uh, but having heard the name david know me yesterday i smiled and i thought he'll be able to do a good job uh, he was here like i said when he first managed rangers see, that was in the early 2000s mean, uh, rangers were not a bad side administratively they are not also when they manage what he moves through they're not a bad side administratively and in the short time he spent with the nigeria premier league as chairman we saw some strides uh, from him so having heard his name, I felt uh, this man would do a good job. But time will tell. He needs to start work. We need to see a plan. And again, we need to see how he works with the chairman, She Wudiko. There must be that synergy. And if the synergy exists, they will begin to see a change in the way the league is managed. If it doesn't, then we're going to have trouble. Hmm. I think that Oumi as CEO of the league is a very good choice. Brilliant. Final question. When can we get volume two? Or when is volume two likely to be out? <laughs> are, there, are there any uh, thoughts of I'm making sure. this into a movie? Well, um, let Nollywood call. Should we call Netflix? They will need to, they, they will need to read. The, the, what should we call Netflix? Well, they, they will need to read it and see how good the work is, but it won't be bad. It won't be a bad idea. Let me tell you. Idea. Let me tell you my, my favorite be? part of the book. <laughs> As to do with as to do with the massage incidents in South Africa. In South Africa. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. Ah, and the fact that you were calling a certain man, you called, called, called. The man's phone was not going through. He was ringing. He called his, uh, his hotel room. He was ringing. The man didn't answer the phone. The man was collecting happy ID. <laughs> that was the most hilarious part of the book for me. The most shocking has to be obviously the first chapter. And, says, and, I, and I picked out the first chapter because of the sheer intensity and because it still happens 
today. Kano is quite notorious for you know for that. The sheer intensity, the fact that you know anything could have happened, you know. And you know, we thank God that hey, you are here to tell the story. And a lot of people can be guided by this story, you know, to know how to for future journalists. Anybody who's looking to come into the industry, I think this is a book that they need to read. You know, it, it will help you to navigate the likely landmines that exist within uh, Nigeria football. So, where are we getting volume two? Hopefully, about the same time volume one came out next year. Um, I still work on it. I structured the chapters. I, com I completed chapter one last week. Uh, so I'm taking my time. I plan to knock it out completely this holiday season, uh, but I'm sure I'll, work, I'll be a bit behind schedule, but hopefully by the end of uh, January, I should be done with the manuscript and my ed editor can start, start his own part. So hopefully it will be, it'll be published about November 2021. That's my plan. Are you going to be more bullish on volume two? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not slowing down anytime soon. So, um, but I will be, I will ah, be, I will so, be a lot bullish. So we should expect a lot more in terms of name calling <laughs> and in terms of scandals. Why, why are you leading me on? Why, 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 why? <laughs> <laughs> no, because you see, look, this thing that I read in this book, a lot of it I hear from journalists that we discuss in the stadium, you know, stuff we discuss in passing, but not documented. And this is a trailblazer. And this is going to help the industry, whether we like it or not. This is going to make a lot of young journalists potentially much more bold to know that, yes, they can detail their experiences and put it out there for people to enjoy. I put it out there for people to know the kind of industry that we operate in. So that's why I'm saying, are you going to be more bullish? And I'm going to hear, if you, <laughs> I wonder what <laughs> that man, the one that was left in that hotel room. I'm sure if you see this, you'll just be shaking his head. <laughs> You, you can see I stylishly left out his name. I know. I know. You don't check it. You know, this, you know this, this channel boy is not serious. <laughs> it's been a real privilege. Yes, um, I'm, I'm, working, I'm, I'm working on volume two. Hopefully, it will be out by, by November next year, like I said. I will be looking forward to that. Hopefully, I get an autographed copy. This one was, in fact, I forgot the day you came to the radio station, I forgot how I got out of it. I wanted you to autograph it. I completely forgot. It was when Queen, and I'm saying shout out to Queen. When Queen was not showing off the one you autographed, I said, yay, and I saw you today. I didn't get you to autograph it for me. <laughs> it was not taunting me, but it's all good. Thank you very much. It's been a rare, rare privilege to have this conversation with you. I try to always keep this podcast very, was it 30, 45 minutes, but you can have a conversation with Chanai Chenu for 30, 45 minutes on something as expansive as this brilliant work that he has done. And of course, the issues around Nigerian football. 
Thank you very much. We pray that God will give you long, long life to be able to tell us more of the fantastic stories of the ups and downs of Nigerian football. Nothing will happen to you, China. All will be well. And you will definitely, your reward Amen. is not to heaven, no. Your reward is right here. You will get your reward. I think it's about time with guys like you, uh, Uncle Bode, Uncle Digi, you guys will start getting your reward. That's why I'm saying that. You never know. Netflix might just see this and say, why don't we make this into a movie or a documentary? You know? So, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much too for having me on your podcast. Thank you very much. And I wish you, everybody, a happy new year. Uh, hopefully 2021 brings us the best things in life, brings us sanity. Hopefully this country starts taking the right direction. You know, I can't hold my breath, but hey, you just never know. My name is Adeyemi Adesoya, and this has been 19. Don't have a lovely day.